All right, well, let's begin. I'm going to start us off with um, Scripture reading, and then we'll pray, and we will commence. Uh, our Scripture reading today is from the book of Proverbs, chapter 6, starting in verse 16. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to Him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. I read this verse to my class today. Uh, as we, I try to open each of my classes with scripture reading and prayer. And I mentioned to them, and maybe this will be helpful for you as well, but a lot of times... Sometimes we have trouble thinking about things that God hates, right? We're, we're typically much more comfortable thinking about the love of God as we should and his grace and his mercy as we should, but the Lord does hate things, right? Uh, but one thing that makes it helpful, uh, at least for me and, and uh, maybe for you as well, is the Lord hates these things. And obviously these aren't the only seven things that God hates. There's other stuff you know, again, read your Bible, but, um, the Lord hates these things in a similar sense as I hate it when my kids try to stick a fork in an electric socket, right? Like I hate it when one of them takes a lightsaber and tries to poke the other one in the throat, that kind of stuff, you know, right? I hate it because it's bad for them. I hate it because it destroys them, right? It eats them, these sorts of things, right? So that's, that is the way in which the Lord hates Right? He, he hates because he loves, in a sense. Right? He hates these things because it's bad for us, because it destroys his creation. It mars the image of God that is within us. Right? So, anyway, let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for your word. Lord God, it is truly a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And as we speak of the discipline of Bible intake this evening, uh, may we be reminded the importance and the centrality of your word uh, for everyday life. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, guys. So let's, uh, so tonight we kind of begin the, the first of these major kind of spiritual disciplines that we are going to review as we're working our way together uh, through Don Whitney's Spiritual Disciplines of the Christian Life. Uh, and tonight, and probably at least some of next week, we are going to talk about um, Bible intake, right? The discipline of Bible intake, right? Now, as I mentioned last week, one of the reasons we start with Bible intake is that it is central to all of the other ones, right? Every other discipline that we are going to consider, whether it's giving, whether it's service or stewardship, giving, whether it's a study, whether it's prayer or worship, every other discipline that we're going to look at, uh, if it is a Christian discipline, if it is a spiritual discipline for the Christian life, it must be tied in some way to scripture, right? So it informs it, it feeds it, feeds all the other disciplines. And so uh, it, it is, it's the launching pad, if you will. It's, it's the starting place for every other discipline that we're going to talk about. 
Okay? So we begin with Bible intake. So let me ask this question. Just kind of throw this out here to the room. Uh, and, and yes, this is an incredibly vague question, and it's vague on purpose. And there's not necessarily one answer I'm looking for. But what is the Bible? Right? So what is it? And, and the word of God doesn't count because that's, you know, like the, the shoot from the hip Sunday school answer. But so we all, we all agree, hopefully, of that, right? So it's, I'll, I'll take that one out from under you. So it's, yes, it's the word of God. But let's, let's, move, let's move beyond that, not less than that, but more than that, right? What, what is the Bible? What, what is it? Right, exactly. So just on Sunday mornings, right? Like it's only applicable on Sunday morning. No, that was a trick question. You never do that to your students? <laughs> right, yeah, I, not just for Sunday morning, right? So the Christian life is more than just Sunday mornings, more than just corporate gathering for worship. Again, shouldn't be less than that, but it has to be more than that, definitely. So uh, it's the word of God. It is instructions for life, definitely. What else? Yes. Yeah. So that's basically another way of saying the word of God. Good job. But, <laughs> but no, you're right. It is. It, it is. It is. It's, it's, well, well, that's when, you know, I quoted earlier that God's word is, is, is living, right? It's, it's active, sharper than any two-edged sword, right? It's not like when I have, uh, last year I taught a class on, um, at HLG on the classical world. So basically Greek and Roman history. And one of the things that I have the students almost primary, mostly read primary sources. So writings of ancient Greece and ancient Romans written by ancient Greeks and ancient Romans, right? So they are, they are reading old dead words, right? But the Bible is an old document. It's an ancient document, but it is far from dead, right? It is, it is the, the very uh, breath of God. And so... That's, you know, one of the things we could be comforted, comforted with is when we are in times of sorrow, times of anxiety, times of doubt, maybe even, and we want to hear from God. You ever been in that, that place where you've wanted to hear from God and, and you wanted maybe your shrub in your backyard to catch on fire, right? Or some angel to appear to you at your bedside so that you may hear from God. But God has given us the, not exclusively, but primarily, the primary way in which he communicates with us is through the Bible. No doubt about it. What else? What is the Bible? God's story. Yeah. Of, about yeah, exactly. It's, it's a self-revelation. Exactly. Very good. Very good. Good. Excellent. All great answers, right? The, and this is important that we think about what the Bible is, Right? The, the Bible is indis indispensable, right? It's indispensable for our relationship with Christ. It's his very word, right? So, when, for, uh, so as an example, right, uh, when Rebecca and I were dating in college many moons ago, right, we talked to each other, right? We communicated with one another, sometimes too much because we didn't go to class. But, right, we talked to each other, we communicated with each other, we saw each other, right? Now, imagine trying to pursue a relationship, pursue marriage with someone where you never see them and you don't hear from them and you don't really get to talk to them 
these sorts of things. Can, can you pursue significant relationships without even some level of communication? Typically, unless there's something off in your brain, right? Probably not, right? One of the prerequisites of love, one of the prerequisites of affection is knowing the object of that affection, right? So when we say we love God, but we have very limited exposure or very limited contact with his word, with his words, with who, who he has revealed himself to be, the reality is, is we really don't know what we love. We don't know whom we claim to love. So what we want to say is that the Bible is the supreme way that God reveals himself in history, right? And through specifically the incarnation. Now, Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God. So we, we do want to make that kind of categorical distinction that, so for instance, in uh, Hebrews chapter 1, uh, it speaks of Jesus as the perfect imprint of God, right? Jesus is, is the, the first and the perfect um, because he is God, because he is of the same substance, right? The fancy word you can use to impress your friends and neighbors is homoousios, right? The Greek word for the same substance, right? So, so Jesus is God. He is the perfect representation of God. But the Bible is the perfect uh, revelation of Christ, right? He is the perfect revelation of the perfect image of God. So you can't sufficiently know God without knowing Jesus, and specifically Jesus as he is revealed in Scripture. Now, is the Bible the only way that we can know anything about God? What do you think? Is the Bible the, and it's not a trick question, is the Bible the only way that you can know anything about God? No, no right? So what else is there, John? That's right. You know, um, but you know, the whole thing of nature, um, science. Yeah. When you look at earth science. Um, so the sciences. The guys that have built the, um, the optimal theory mm -hmm. is that there is a creator. Right. When they look at the science and purely the scientific side of things without any preconceived notions of right. Right. Exactly. Right. So the, the Bible itself says that the heavens declare the glory of God. Right. It's it's even the rocks cry out. Right. With with his majesty and his glory. And so what we what we call that is 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 natural revelation. OK. So if I if I had my board here. Right. If, if we weren't on board number two, that didn't work. So we're hopefully going to get a third board. Eventually, one day I'll have a board up here. But if I had a board up here. I would draw two books, right? And so they, essentially God reveals himself through two books. Now the primary, right, the main, the perfect way, the way that is unto salvation is the Bible, right? This, this is the perfect revelation of God and, and the means by which men can be saved, right? 
However, there is, God reveals himself also through another book, and that is what you know, philosophers and theologians call natural revelation or, uh, or the, um, it's been a long day, my brain hiccuped, natural law, in other words, in other words, that, that the law and order, right, the, the order and authority of God is just kind of imprinted in creation. So as John mentioned, you can see this in science, right? The fact that the earth doesn't just collide in the sun, right? That, that there's an order to gravity, that there's an order to physics, right? These sorts of things is, is a proof that something is out there that sets it into motion, right? The more advanced knowledge that we have of biology, especially, points to a creator, right? Points to something that orchestrated uh, all the intricacies of, of the uh, of the cell in a various animal species and the intricacies of the human body and these sorts of things, right? And not to even get into the complexities of, of galaxies and planets and stars and all these other sorts of things, right? But it's not just, not even just in science and in the material world, but even just in something as basic as kind of the, the, the commonality of human experience and the commonality of ethics, for example, right? So in almost every culture, almost every time that you could point to, uh, it would be wrong for me to push John down the stairs, right? That, that, that doesn't, you know, tip almost always, that's known as a bad thing. Whether you're a 21st century American or whether you're a third century BC, um, you know, East German nomad, right? Either way, there's, there's, there's an instinctual knowledge of the preciousness of life, right? Now, the boundaries may be a little different, a little blurry, different cultures, different times and different places, but for the most part, um, this is true. So the natural world, the world that we live in, declares God, declares the existence of God. But as we know from Romans 1, that basically just gets us enough knowledge about God to condemn us, right? That's, that's all the natural revelation can ultimately do is basically to tell us you've messed everything up <laughs> and that everything is broken and that you need something outside of yourself to fix you, right? And so, again, this is where the Bible comes in. This is where special revelation comes in. So you have natural revelation, you have special revelation, Scripture, right? So we can grow... So, or rather, so can we grow in godliness without knowing the person, character, and activity of God? Obviously not. In order to grow in godliness, we have to know what God is like, what he loves, what he hates, right? We have to know toward what or toward whom are we to grow into, right? If we are growing in our spiritual disciplines, if we are becoming more like Jesus, what does that even look like, right? And we need the Bible to know uh, what that is. So this is the necessity of Bible intake in the Christian life. It's, again, the most important discipline, but it's also, quite frankly, the most broad, right? And so we're, we're going to talk a, a few subcategories kind of as we work through this. And, and as you read through uh, our book, you'll get all of these to a greater or lesser extent. But so we can talk about hearing God's word, right? We could talk about reading God's word. 
We can talk about studying God's Word, memorizing God's Word, meditating on God's Word, applying God's Word. These are all different ways of what we talk about. This is why we, we talk about Bible intake, right? Because the goal ultimately is to intake through a variety of different avenues. Does that make sense? Okay. So let's start with hearing God's Word. Okay, so obviously this is probably the easiest of the intake methods, but it still requires discipline. So we don't want to limit our Bible intake to just kind of accidental intake or only when we feel like it, right? Eventually, it's just not going to happen. If you're, in other words, if, you're, if your Bible intake, any sort of Bible intake, but particularly hearing, if it's completely dependent upon your mood, you're setting yourself up for failure. We need regular, systematic methods of Bible intake. Now, if only God in all of his wisdom and Christ as he institutes his church, if only he had created some mechanism, built our calendars in such a way that there were, I don't know, some weekly time where we can gather together with other believers to hear the word of God proclaimed and taught. If only he would have thought that through, right? And provided that for us. I'll be facetious, obviously, right? The most obvious way, the best way, not the only way, don't get me wrong, we're going to talk about some other ways, but the best way, he's literally built it into the calendar of the Christian life. The best way to hear God's word is through the discipline of corporate worship, right? Of Lord's Day worship, right? By attending and coveting with a New Testament church where God's word is preached, right? That's a big disclaimer, right, uh, on that point. Let's look at a, a couple texts as we think through this. Let's look at uh, the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 11, verse 28. <clears throat> Whoever gets there first, if you would read that for us. He replied, Blessed brother are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Right. So the hearing of the word of God, particularly as it is connected to the obedience to the word of God, is a blessing. It's a blessing to those who follow after Jesus. Let's look also at Romans. Romans chapter 10. If we look at verse 17, this is a pretty famous verse. You've probably heard this before. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So let's think. Of, let's put it this way: hearing God's word is so important, right? It is the normative way, not the only way. There's other, you know. I know there's other stories about the, out there, but it is the normative way by which, probably most of us, if not all of us in this room, but it's the normative way by which we are saved, right? It, it is the means that God uses to save us. Is we we heard God's word. We heard someone teach and or preach or proclaim or talk about 
what's in this book, right? That was true for me when I was 11, sitting in my fourth or fifth vacation Bible school that summer, right? All the same curriculum, always the same message every time, right? I was by that point 40% red Kool-Aid, right? Heard the same thing over and over again. Just nothing, okay, fun, next thing, right? But after about the third or fourth one, I'm sitting there hearing the pastor talk about the gospel, explaining sin and what sin does and what Jesus did to take care of the problem of sin. And God used that simple gospel message that I had heard a bajillion times to give me new life, to save me, to make the blind see, to make the dead man walk or dead 11-year-old at that point walk, right? God used words. He used the, uh, the, the, used the teaching and the proclamation of the Bible to save me. And for most people, that is the means by which he uses to save us. So if we are going to be not just for salvation, but for sanctification, for becoming more like Jesus, if we are going to participate in this means of the gospel, we need to make sure it's not accidental. We need to make sure that we are preparing Right? That we are, um, that we need to understand that preparation is the key to preventing more or to allow us to have more than just accidental Bible intake. Does that make sense? In other words, you need to build into your life rhythms and patterns of regular Bible intake. Again, not less than Sunday morning, but more than Sunday morning, even. Right? Because I don't know about you guys, but I need God's word every day. I need the gospel every day because I wander and stray every day, right? It happens all the time. So, <clears throat> Whitney puts it this way in, the, in, in our book. It says, first, when you come to hear the word, if you would sanctify God's name, you must possess your souls with what it is you are going to hear. That is, what you are going to hear is the word of God. Therefore, you find that the apostle writing to the Thessalonians gives them the reason why the word then did them so much good as it did. It was because they did hear it as the word of God. So in other words, what Whitney's talking about here is as we read God's word, we need to approach it as that, right? So let's look here at 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 13. And we also thank God constantly for this. That when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is. The word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Jesus Christ that in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles, again, speaking the word, that they might be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. In other words, Paul is commending the Thessalonians 
that they are approaching, that, that, that they think of Scripture, right? They think of the Bible as God's Word. So let me warn you in this, right? As we begin to pursue the spiritual disciplines, one of the things that's real easy to do is to approach your disciplines, just approach spiritual disciplines like a checklist, right? Okay, I've read literally a checklist sometimes because like, so for instance, our Bible, and this is nothing against Bible reading plans, obviously, but your Bible reading plan has a checklist. There's a nice little button you press in the app, right? Or maybe you mark it on the paper and you're like, ooh, I've accomplished something today, right? Now, now again, I'm not critiquing that. We need that. We need that reminder. We need visible, visible, tangible things to remind us, right? Um, those, those are good things. But the danger that we have to avoid, that we have to be leery of, is that we begin to approach our Bible intake in all of our disciplines as a chore, right? As a thing that we've got just have to do, right? Like cleaning the dishes, right? Or vacuuming or cleaning the toilet or mowing the yard or whatever it may be, right? We, we can't approach God's word as a necessary evil, right? As a necessary chore that's just part of life. We have to approach God's word as God's word, right? As hearing from God. Okay, so when we think about reading God's word, so we talk about hearing God's word, building in regular patterns for hearing God's word. Sunday morning sermon, of course, is, is one of the main ones, but I think also having you know, being a part of Bible studies like this one, being a part of Sunday school, having gospel conversations with uh, friends or family throughout the week, all of these are great ways to, uh, to hear God's Word. Maybe you do your Bible reading through audio or through podcast or something like that, right? But, but the, these, these are all examples of ways in which we can take in the Bible, we can take in God's Word uh, through hearing. And one of the things we have to make sure that we do that we are approaching it as his word. So let's talk about reading God's word. So when we look at reading God's word, here's some stats that kind of, and these are dated stats. I'm not sure what they would, were, would be now, but here's some stats, right? So 11% of Americans supposedly, right, read the Bible daily. Probably this, these stats are maybe eight to 10 years old. So that's probably lower is my guess. Right? So 11% of Americans read the Bible daily. 18% of quote-unquote born-again Christians, evangelicals, read the Bible daily. But 23% of born-again Christians say they never read the Bible. And those, are, those are scary statistics that we have generations now who claim the name of Jesus that populate church, that make decisions for churches as Christians, that hire and fire elders and pastors that have never even bothered to look at God, God's own word. Right? It's scary if you think about it. Let's look at Matthew. Let's scoot over to Matthew chapter 4.
Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. But he, Jesus, answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God, or by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, how many, how many of you regularly go days without eating? I obviously don't, but maybe some of you do. I don't know. Right? No, we don't. Not unless we're in trouble. <laughs> That's the only time in our life that we go days without eating is if we're sick or in a desert or there's a plane crash or something, right? That's the only time we go days without eating. It is, it is not a coincidence. It's not just poetic metaphor that the Bible again and again and again is referred to as bread, right? That is not an accident. The Bible, God's word is likened to food because we eat every day. Sometimes more than we should, yes, right? But we eat every day. We eat regularly, right? There's a reason Christ's own words are referred to as, um, as precious and sweet water, right? As life-giving wine, right? God's word is seen to be precious and life-sustaining. Let's look also at 2 Timothy Second Timothy chapter three, verse sixteen. All Scripture is breathed out by God, and is profitable for teaching, for correction, for reproof, and for training in righteousness. All Scripture, be out by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. If someone claims the name of Christ, if they claim to be a Christian, and they claim it without God's Word, they are a, at best case scenario, incomplete Christian. Right? Incomplete. It'd be like, when we, when we moved to Hannibal, uh, we, didn't know, uh, we didn't know where we were going to live. We didn't have a house you know, before we moved up here. And so we lived in the dorms for a while, which was a lot of fun. And, uh, but, when we, we got, but when we moved up here, we, we, we sold or got rid of almost all of our furniture because we didn't know what size of a place we were going to end up in. We thought you know, we may have to rent like a small house or an apartment or something for a while. And so we just, we just weren't really sure. So we got rid of most of our, our furniture. And so when, when we found our house and, and moved in and um, uh, Rebecca went furniture shopping, right? Went looking for a couch for us. Probably one of the most uncomfortable things I've ever sat in, but we, we, we made it. And so, <laughs> no, it actually has nothing to do with the couch. It's more of my kids have already broken it. But uh, it would have been weird. Right, if they deliver, like we, you know, we spent this money on this couch. They came, they delivered it, they assembled it, and it would it would have been strange if I would have gotten a call at work that day. And Rebecca said, "Joe, the people brought the couch, but they only brought half the couch." Right, we would have a, have had a discussion. Right, they if they brought me an incomplete couch, right, or if I bought a house, but come to find out that I only get to use the top floor, that somebody else uses the bottom floor. If someone sold me an incomplete house. Right? There would be a problem. There would be a discussion. But far too often, we are um, satisfied with an incomplete 
life of the Christian, with a life that is um, lacking God's Word. So how often should we read the Bible? That's a big question. Daily? Weekly? Sunday mornings? Right? Well, people ask me this, and I say this kind of jokingly, but kind of not at the same time, right? Because it kinda, it, part of it kind of depends on what you mean by reading the Bible, right? But how often should you read the Bible? Well, I mean, I, I usually try to follow that up with another question. Well, how often do you sin, right? How, how often do we stumble from uh, the path that Christ has laid out for us? How often do we struggle with seasons of uh, melancholy and anxiety, How often do we forget the promises of God? How often do we forget that God is good and he wants what's best for us, right? Now, you guys are probably a lot more spiritual and holy than I am, but for me, it's very regularly (laughs) that those things happen, And so we we ought to be, if, you know, I I don't, there's not a law in, I can't, we can't turn to like Habakkuk chapter five. You can't because there's not one, but you can't turn to Habakkuk chapter 5 and it says, Thus saith the Lord, thou must read this, readest your Bible, you know, four hours a day. Right? It doesn't say that. But as often as you need to hear from God is how often you should read the Bible. And for almost all of us, that's going to be regularly, if not daily. Does that make sense? Right? How often do we face problems? How often do we face temptations? How often do we face pressure? How often do we need to hear God's voice? That's how often, right? There are times, it doesn't happen that much, but there are times where I, I just need to talk to my dad. I just need to hear his voice. We don't even, I don't even have to talk about anything particular. Same thing with my mom. Sometimes I just want to hear her voice, right? Similarly, though to obviously a much greater extent and a greater level, one of the, I think one of the fruits of regeneration, one of the fruits of, of Christianity is that desire to hear the voice of God, it's to read it, to take it in, to know it, right? Is it going to be all day, every day, at all times? No, right? But again, part of building in habits and routines is that you, you build in these aspects into your daily life where you are hearing or reading or exposed to God's Word regardless of your mood, but especially when you need to hear it, right? So we ought to have the need, in other words, to read the Bible. But what about the how? How do we do it? How do we do it? Well, I would recommend that you, if you don't already, take the time. Take the time to discipline yourself to find a time each day or every other day to to spend time reading the Word, right? Spend time. Adjust your calendars. Adjust your schedule. We all know that we will calendar and schedule everything, right? Some of you maybe like that more so than others, right? I have a particular family member that every breath is on the calendar, right? It's on the Google calendar. I'm definitely not looking at her right now, but, (laughs) 
But no, we, 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 we have no problem calendaring birthday parties, right? We have no problem calendaring uh, 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 sporting events, right? We have no problem calendaring work meetings, right? I have to believe it or not, even though the, my classes are the same time of the same day for 16 weeks, I have to put my classes on the calendar and have a little warning set up in my calendar to yell at me because I'll be in the middle of a project and 10 minutes out from class and I'll be late if I don't, right? These kinds of things. We calendar, we schedule for everything. Why not be willing to calendar and schedule your time with God's word? And I know for many of you, this, kind of, this ship has already sailed because you're in the midst of it, but find a good Bible reading plan. Don't let, don't let not knowing what to read hinder you from establishing good habits and good patterns and good routines of Bible reading um, in your life, right? Find, as you're reading, find a word, a phrase, or a whole verse to meditate on each time that you read, right? So we're hearing the Bible, we're reading the Bible, but hopefully we're also taking the time to study it, right? <clears throat> when I have to put together... Um, anything for the kids, right? In my house, a lot of times I have to put together like toys uh, and little, when they were younger, the, all the baby stuff, baby furniture, I don't know what you call it. Here recently, I find myself putting together bookshelves more than anything else. Some of that's for me, some of that's for my oldest daughter, right? But if, if you're anything like me, when I, when I have instructions on putting stuff together, I, I just, I, I read it in kind of a metaphorical sense in that I have the instructions in my hand and they're there if I break something or if I get lost somewhere and putting something together, right? I kind of look over and, okay, this seems fine. And hopefully our Bible reading is not like that, right? Hopefully we take the time to study, right? Studying God's word. We take the time to stop and think and ponder, consider what we are reading. So there... So a lot of times, a lot of people, as we think about studying God's word, some of you, you may be like a, a verse a day kind of person. Like you'll open up the Bible, you'll read a verse kind of by itself. And you're like, oh, that, you know, that spoke to me. Great. And then you go about your business. And other people, again, you're trying to do the Bible reading plan. You're, right, you're reading three chapters a day. You're reading these big chunks, right? And a lot of people ask, well, which, which is better? Right? Should we just read the one verse and spend a lot of time thinking about it? Or we, should we read big chunks of Scripture right, to get kind of an understanding of the message of the Bible as a whole or the message of a particular book or a particular section, these sorts of things. Does that make sense, right? You, a, lot, a lot of times people ask, well, which one's better? And the answer is yes. Right? Both are good. Both are necessary in different aspects and in different ways. Right? So what I kind of compare it to is speedboat reading versus glass bottom boat reading, right? So how many of you ever been on a glass bottom boat? Y'all ever done that or heard of that before? Not a lot of, not a lot of that up here in, in Missouri, I know. But on the Gulf Coast, especially near Florida, right, where, you, where we lived in Louisiana, the water was too brown uh, from the Mississippi River. Right. But as we go further east, closer to Florida, the water clears up and you get the pretty beaches like a Pensacola and Destin and and down in the Keys. And so you get on um, for there's a season where 
my, uh, my, my uh, Mima and Papa lived in Key West, Florida, which we drove there from East Texas one time. Imagine driving as it is sitting in a car. I wasn't driving, but sitting in the car as an eight-year-old from East Texas all the way down to Key West, Florida. It was horrible. But anyway, we got down there, went on a glass bottom boat. And so, you know, you, glass, you could look and see. And the, the, the glass bottom boats, they, like, they might as well just have a trolling motor on them, right? They go real slow. Why do they go real slow? Not just because of the glass. What do you think? What? So you can see what's there. That's right. So you can see all the fish. You can see the coral. You can see the um, uh, eel. I was thinking sea snakes, but I guess, no, that is a thing too. Sea snakes and eels and, you know, Finding Nemo, that kind of stuff, right? So you can see everything. You can see all the details and the colors and the glory of the Lord's creation uh, underwater, right? They don't go very fast. Slow, ponderous, right? Sometimes we need seasons of Bible reading like that. We need slow, ponderous, detailed, kind of microscopic level reading where we're reading maybe two or three verses or we're reading a paragraph out of Scripture and really stopping and chewing on it and meditating on it, praying through it, maybe even writing it down and breaking if you're a grammar nerd, maybe even writing it down and, and diagramming it, you know, breaking it apart grammatically really to get a sense of what God's Word is really trying to communicate to us. Maybe picking up a, a commentary and reading what Bible scholars have to say about it, these sorts of things, right? Now, is that what you should do all the time, every day? Honestly, I don't think so, because you'll maybe get through like half a book of the Bible your entire life, right? Or you'll end up looking at the same verses over and over again, which is what a lot of people do. But I think, that's, I, I think, I think in seasons and from time to time, that's good. You need that glass bottom boat reading of Scripture, right? But there's not only glass bottom boat reading, there's also what I call what we call speedboat reading, right? So if you've been on a, on a, on a high power, high octane speedboat, right? What's the point of the speedboats? To go fast, right? To see everything kind of fly by as you go, to enjoy the wind in your, in your face, right? You're not taking the time to look at the fishes. You can't even see the fishes because you're a couple feet off the water, right? You're going so fast, these sorts of things, right? Sometimes our scripture reading, it's good to be like that, to read big chunks of scripture, maybe even whole books in one, whole books of the Bible in one sitting. So that like in a speedboat, so that you can go from one end of the lake to the other to see the whole lake. Sometimes you need speedboat reading of the Bible to go from one end of the Bible to the other to see the whole Bible. So like, like what we're doing as a church, the Bible reading plan, where we're reading through the whole Bible in the year, right? That's an example, you know, kind of the speedboat reading. Maybe not quite speedboat because it's, you know, three chapters a day, but, you know, it's more so than glass bottom boat, right? Sometimes reading, again, reading whole books of the Bible in one sitting. I went through a season about a, probably about two years ago, and for about two or three months, I uh, attempted, most days I pulled it off, but would attempt to sit down and read um, Matthew's gospel in one sitting every day, right, for, uh, for several months. And what, what that, that, and reading one whole book, I've, I've had some friends that will read through, try to read through all of Paul's letters in a week, for example, right, and do that every week for several months. 
right? So all of these are examples of speedboat reading. And what speedboat reading enables you to do is see the broad patterns, right? To see the broad message of God's word. That might be, again, the message of a, a, a chunk of a book or maybe the message of a particular book of the Bible. That might be over time, over the course of the year. The message of the Bible as a whole, so that you can begin to see how things fit together. So my point is, whether you're glass-bottom boat reading or whether you're speed boat reading, different times and different seasons, you'd, you'd need both, right? And if you prefer one over the other, so for instance, personality-wise, you love to sit and look at like one or two verses and really zoom in deep then you probably need some seasons where you need to kind of make yourself read bigger chunks of the Bible because there's, there's dangers in exclusively using one method over the, uh, uh, or exclusively using one method versus the other method. So if all you ever do is speedboat read, right? If all you ever do is read two or three verses of the Bible at a time and you keep going back to the same ones again over and over again, you're, you're, you, you miss out oftentimes of the message of the Bible as a whole. Or what's even worse is that we're oftentimes we accidentally take those two or three verses out of context because we, we don't really we can't we don't really know what those two three two or three verses are saying if we don't know what the author is saying in the chapter or in the book as a whole. Does that make sense? Right? Yes, sir. Yeah. 